0: Hello oh, and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. Sorry we missed you last week. I'm Eugene Repay. He's Chris Danziel. Had a little laryngitis, got a little in the way of Thursday's podcast, but I'm back. And, you know, it's probably a good thing because, you know, how they say you need a 24-hour cool down. And after that Wednesday loss, I was fuming. But they redeemed themselves this past weekend. So I guess, Chris, you do know, a little good cop, bad cop because, well, it wasn't nice that they redeemed themselves on Saturday against Butler, finally ending that three-game losing streak against the Bulldogs that Wednesday night. I don't know if that can just slide.
1: Yeah, for those of you who thought that we would just uh, kind of overlook that, yeah, no. If we had done an episode
0: Thursday, it, it probably would have been uh,
1: a really bad. <laughs> we probably would have ripped this team to shreds, but I, I think with the cooldown period and a win over Butler, I think we can go a little bit easier on them, but we're not letting some of the mistakes from Wednesday night slide.
0: If for some reason you lived under a rock and did not get to see it, St. John's pulled one out of the playbook that was pretty much like the 2012-2013 Villanova Wildcats becoming the first team since then as an unranked team to upset back-to-back top five AP ranked teams first they beat duke last saturday or i guess now two saturdays ago at madison square garden then they followed up on the road at the wells fargo center giving villanova its first home loss of the season i don't know how any of you guys felt but i was not a happy camper with probably 95 percent of that game
1: yes and especially towards the end i mean obviously they, they played like crap the entire game but the second half, particularly from deep, and then the end of the game, the end of the game management, specifically the coaching, was um, was subpar. To put it nicely, it was not great, and it's not what you're used to seeing from this team that, at all.
0: Yeah, and then Villanova came back, and they were trailing against Butler at half. So you thought that, oh my God, this is about to be more of the same. Are they about to lose back-to-back games for the first time since that 2012-13 season? But fortunately, Villanova pulled it out. We got ahead in the second half. Dante DiVincenzo had a monster game, which, in my opinion, made up for his performance on that Wednesday night. Or it was a nice way to bounce back, at least. I don't know if it made up for it 100%, but it was a nice rebound performance after not doing so much against the Red Storm, as he usually does. And then, of course, we got the polls. We'll talk about that. And in women's basketball, two games this past weekend. Villanova won both, and now they have their sixth straight 21 season. That's a pretty solid streak. And honestly, the NCAA tournament is looking a little more real. It's looking a little more realistic, and it's looking pretty possible with the way that the Lady Cats are trending right now.
1: For sure. According to ESPN's latest bracketology, they're in the, they're in the field right now. So barring a late-season collapse, I think they should be in. Maybe like one more win on the road against DePaul or Marquette. And like Two big bad teams in the Big East. That would probably solidify, make them a lock. Or maybe just a little run in the Big East tournament could do it. But as of right now, they look, they look like they're in.
0: And of course, later in the show, after all the breakdowns and all the chatter, we will answer your Twitter questions. And we'll go back and we'll also get the ones that we should have answered on that Thursday episode if we had one. And my voice was not trash or garbage or sounded like nails on the chalkboard or that there was a frog in my throat.
1: Yeah, glad to have you back, Eugene.
0: So last Wednesday night, let's talk about it. St. John's, 3% chance, according to Ken Palm, to pull it out. And surely enough, 79-75, to 75 final score, the Johnnies come in and just upset Villanova at home in front of a, I guess you could say a lukewarm crowd. I don't know. There were definitely not a lot of students there, it seemed
1: no, like. No, no, there, there wasn't much of anyone there.
0: It was tough. I had a bet with my good friend, Christian, who is a reporter and a St. John's Red Storm expert fan. And he was telling me, like, oh, oh, we're going to upset Villanova on Wednesday. We're going to do it. We're going to pull it off. And I told him, look, if that happens, you get to be on the podcast. There I was confidently. I did not think it was going to happen. And surely enough. By the end of Wednesday night, I was staring at my TV screen. Well, after the game ended, in disbelief, in shock, in anger, and in disappointment of what just unfolded. From the get-go, Villanova just struggled against another hard-nosed defensive effort by St. John's. We know the defenses are mo, and Villanova did not look comfortable at any point in the game. They were trailing at half by five, and then as we just came closer down the stretch, it was like okay. They weren't too far behind. They were in it the whole time, but there was that thought where, okay, well, if they don't get onto a run now or if they don't start getting on a run soon, they're going to run out of time and St. John's will probably catch them. You mentioned subpar late game management. There was a lot of subpar things to go around in that game. And especially at the end, Villanova was able to make it a one-point game twice in the final two minutes. And unfortunately, they were not able to overtake the Johnnies. They had one great look, down by two. Jalen Brunson takes it up court, gets a double team to the face, kicks it out to Omari Spellman, waves for the ball back, but it was too late because Spellman had launched it and it carried right off the rim and into the hands of the Red Storm and then a couple more free throws to ice it, and that was that. Chris, I was upset. I could go on forever about that game. What stuck out to you about that game? Because I'll be honest, there were not a lot of positives. Except for Colin Gillespie. Colin Gillespie, like I said, 95% was very disappointed to me. But Colin Gillespie was very, very impressive with the way that he hit his shots from deep. And he was able to nail, I think he was 4-6 for for the game. But he was not enough. And he had that clutch one to make it a one-point game off the offensive rebound by Jermaine Samuels with like a minute and a half to go. But other than that, what stuck out to you in this game? Well...
1: How quickly do you forget that before the game we were hit with the news that Eric Pascal would not be playing with a concussion? And he was obviously out for the Butler game. And I believe it stemmed from that hard fall he took against Seton Hall on Super Bowl Sunday. That was pretty devastating. But at the same time, you're at home against St. John's. It's a big injury, but it shouldn't be the end of the world. I think they should come away with a victory still. So I think the late news there, I'm assuming they kind of prepped without him. So I don't, I don't know if this was like a big shock to the rest of the team as well, but they looked stunned right off the bat. St. John's came ready to play. They were high off the victory against Duke, and I think we, I mean, at least I did. I severely underplayed it. I was like, well, you know, all right, they beat Duke. They got their one big win of the year, whatever it may be. Now it's just going to go back to the crap biggies play that they've been putting out, but then you see Villanova missing some three pointers, which if you do take away Gillespie's three-point shooting, they went four of twenty-seven from deep for the game. That that is absolutely horrendous. Additionally, it just, it just they just looked discombobulated. I didn't know what they were doing half the time. Like it seemed like the offense was like was more just you know someone just take the ball and do something. Hopefully, Bridges had a terrible game. I really think the ankle injury. A foot injury, whatever it is, is really hindering him and his ability to continue what he put up at the beginning of the year. Jalen had a terrible shooting game, two of 11 from deep. Yeah, he got to the line a bunch of times, especially at the end. He had that look in his eye again at the end of the game where he's like, just give me the ball. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make us come back. And he he almost did. He almost single-handedly brought us back, but he just didn't get enough help. I mean, Dante had an absolutely horrific game himself. God, he had his shot attempts were very very questionable. You know, throughout the year he's been taking those and you know you're all right, you're okay with it because he's making them. But in games where he's not making them, you kinda of want to put the, the yellow light or the red light up and say, Okay, Dante, let's uh let's work the ball around a little bit more. I thought he was he was completely out of it. Omari, he didn't have that great of a game either. One and six from D five and twelve from the field. He looked over. Matched by the St. John's big man, which is weird to say because we were absolutely applauding him for his work against Angel Delgado. I don't know what could have happened from Sunday to Wednesday where he just completely loses all talent and ability. But like you said, Gillespie had a good game and Samuel was in limited time in those five minutes. Time in those five minutes, he got a big offensive board to kick it out to Gillespie to hit that big three. But it was just a horrible effort from the starters and DCR was non existent. I think Jay lost all patience with him with about like halfway through the game and just kind of threw Gillespie in to to fill in for that last spot and it showed with the next game against Butler with Gillespie getting the start over him but I want to bring up the the end of the game management what did you think of us pressing and going for a steal with a minute and a half left after a Jalen and one to cut the lead to one then to proceed to get burned by the press break, and then Dante just has the genius idea to go over and foul the guy going up for an easy layup to then extend the lead to four for St. John. I did not get that whatsoever. I think that was probably the worst play of the game.
0: That was definitely the worst play of the game, the worst series of the game, because it was just like, okay, we cut it to one big hand one by Jalen, who wasn't shooting all that well. Yes, he had 28 points, did not feel like it, or I guess maybe it did because he was going to the free throw line like 50,000 times. Regardless. That play, I felt like, was the dagger. Yes, Colin Gillespie had that three to make it a one-point game again, but I didn't understand the press, especially once we cut it down to one with, like, a minute to go. That's enough time to play. It's just straight up man-to-man defense. There was no need to press there. But not only was the press questionable, it was the hack of Red Storm strategy that was going on in the last two minutes of the game. And, of course... To St. John's credit, they're kind of like an average to not-so-great free-throw shooting team. And, of course, in the very end, they made all of them except for one. But why? It was way too late to just start fouling intentionally. They made no—I didn't get it. I didn't get it. No,
1: I understand I didn't get it either. It was it was really infuriating watching that because I'm like this this team is much better than that. James a much better coach than that. This was like watching like some high school coach panic in, in like some big championship game. Like what what are you doing? I guess if you want to play to percentages, I think he said St. John's isn't the best free throw shooting team, but this isn't like St. John's like a couple of years ago when we were in school, like when they were like absolutely horrific. Like they were like 60% at sometimes. But like th- this team like they they're like in the seventies. Like I I'd rather take my chances playing defense. And I know the defense hasn't been exactly the best this year. And against St. John's, it wasn't fantastic, but I'd still take my chances with the defense on a man to man or a zone, whatever they wanted to run at the time. I wish they had worked more zoning, but that's a whole other tangent. I just uh, take your chance. Why not? You're the better team. And then you also brought up, which I kind of had overlooked the pass to Omari on the double team from Jalen. When we were down by two, Omari takes the three, misses, and that was pretty much the game. I'm okay with Omari taking the shot because he was wide open, but that was like that's the type of shot where it's like if he misses, that's a terrible play because Jalen obviously has been getting to the line and been absolutely manhandling their defense for the past two minutes. But if he makes it, it's a great play. But when you're the better team and at home, I'd rather have Jalen take it to the basket and potentially get fouled for an add one or get fouled and hit two free throws because if the game goes overtime, I think they win. So I I would have rather had them just tie the game than take the lead or take a shot to take a lead when they hadn't hit a three all game. They were kind of playing like the team that was – the underdog per se the worst team usually takes the big 3 to take the lead in the waning seconds not the team that's better and knows they can outwork them in a in a later overtime
0: period saint john's is a team that's notorious for shooting themselves in the foot choking in the last few minutes of the game when they have the game in the bag all hell breaks loose murphy's law is in full tilt 100% going down by fouling them in the last 2 3 minutes of the game putting them into the line playing the hacker red storm you have now taken that opportunity from them to mess the game up for themselves. Yes, they had been just beating Villanova. I would have never thought I would have seen the day where Chris Mullen was out coaching Jay or just doing a better job of managing his team. I was very disappointed with that. I do think that, yeah, like you said, if Omari Spellman makes the shot, it's great. But if he doesn't, it's like we could have just driven inside, gotten the deuce or gotten and one or gotten two free throws, it made no sense to me. I don't know if you can fully blame this on injuries, because I just feel like overall the effort just wasn't that great. Like, yeah, Eric Pascal would have probably made a big difference inside, and, you know, you have that veteran experience presence, but overall, that's neither here or there, because he was out and Phil Booth is out, and they're not coming in the game. This team looked lost, and honestly, the bright spot was Colin Gillespie and Jalen Brunson in the last, like, three minutes. Other than that, I was not happy with how anyone played. Dr. Divincenzo just being a fouling machine, turning the ball over four times. He had half of the team's turnovers, and they just all happened to be at the worst spot. And yes, the shot selection, when he makes them, it's great, but there's just some of those where he takes a hand off, and in this congested area where there are four bodies, he just pulls up for three. And you know, I've seen him take that shot before, and he's made them. He's made them, to his credit, he's made them a bunch of times. But overall, I'm just sitting there like, why would you pull up in this congested area where there are four bodies right next to you? It just wasn't a good game for Dante DiVincenzo, the red storm destroyer who looked so far gone from what we usually see him do against St. John's. You know, I can't believe it that St. John's pulled it off. I was stunned. It had no words. I don't think there was anyone happy with what happened. I don't know. You could have looked at that effort, looked at yourself in the mirror, and said that was a good effort. That was a good game. Because it's one thing where it's just they play well, and then they just get it handed to them. That that was not the case on Wednesday night. There were so many other things. There were so many things that could have just happened in a much better way, could have gone so much better. St. John's is a great defensive team. And when the threes aren't falling, let's not proceed to shoot 33 three pointers against a team that locks down the perimeter. And then, like you said, when you take away Colin Gillespie's four for six, that's four for 27 for everybody else, including an ugly two for 11 from Jalen. Let's work it inside. You know, I think we just need to know when to put up the yellow light from deep when the threes aren't falling. And then maybe go back to it later rather than just endlessly hacking them up and hoping that they'll start falling at some point
1: I just did not understand that I thought they would adjust the game plan a little bit but no they just wanted to keep hacking them up and hack them up and I'm just like dudes like come on I'm like well, let's work it inside and it, it, they finally did and it worked and that's when Jalen took over but it's, it's so frustrating because you know this team can obviously hit those shots but like when it, they're not falling and there's still the persistence to keep doing it that late in the game like I'm like come on it's, it's, Let's do something different. Let's try something different. This is It's St. John's. This shouldn't be a problem. I know you're shorthanded and whatever, but still. And yeah, the injuries do suck, but if you can beat Butler the next game with shorthanded with basically the same rotation, you can certainly beat St. John's with a much better effort. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, you could just chalk that up to a bad game or whatever, but I don't don't know. I, I guess it was just a bad game, but at the same time, this type of game brings out a lot of flaws in this team that are apparent which is the shooting, if you don't, if they're not making their shots, obviously they're not going to do well because they just don't want to adjust the game plan. Hopefully they can learn from this and realize when it's time to adjust the game plan and realize it's time to give the ball to Jalen and have him drive or give it the Bridges and have him drive. Not so much, oh, let's all just post up around the three-point line and hopefully one of them will fall.
0: Because it's a regular season game and it's only our second loss of the season, by no means is this a, oh my God, we just got upset by St. John's burn everything. This season's a disaster. We're not going to go far. All hell's done. It's over. It's the apocalypse. This is it. We're going to lose in a round of 32 again. I like how some people related this game to a round of 32 type of performance because that's exactly what it is when the team kind of looks helpless and it's just such a disaster to watch. And then at the very end, they get a shot to win and then it just falls apart or just doesn't bounce their way. I think losses are good. Obviously, you want to win them. But there are times you just need one for a nice little check, a nice little self-check, a nice little reevaluation of our lives and what we're doing. And if they had won this game, this would have been kind of like the LaSalle game where, yeah, they won, but it felt more like they survived. And maybe they got a little lucky at the end. I think losing this game would have been that little checkup like, hey, we just lost to a team that's 0-11 in the Big East. We just gave them their first win. We're number one and we just lost to them. Yes, Duke lost to them too, but that's no excuse. We knew that this team was going to come in hard, hungry, and ready, and we were not up for the task. We need to reevaluate ourselves. March is just around the corner. Losses like that fly for now because we're not eliminated, but if we come in and we underestimate a team or we don't do our job or if we don't play well, if we don't execute, we're going to get upset again. And hopefully... As we saw, they found themselves down again against Butler, but they pulled it out. There's only three or four more weeks left of the regular season. It is not a time to play around, especially as we get closer and closer to March.
1: While I agree with you that the St. John's lost. I mean, hopefully gets their mind focused now. It does suck enormously, especially when Xavier's nipping at your heels. And I think they're tied right now in the Big East. This game was pretty crucial because you're assumed they're going to win this. And you, if you win this, you keep your one game lead over Xavier. But now Villanova is going on a really rough stretch. Four of the next five on the road, four of, all four of which are in tough, tough buildings. Hopefully they can come unscathed from this next stretch, but it's going to be hard not to. So if you figure you lose one and God forbid two in this rough stretch, well, let's say Xavier beats Villanova they're gonna they, they have a clear path to the Big East title then at that point regular season title anyway and that would suck I mean I, I'd like to be the number one seed in the Big East tournament again I, I like having those early games come uh, tournament week but you know it, it's not the end of the world like you said they think they'll be fine I think they'll recover and they show that they did recover against Butler
0: right now Villanova is a half game behind Xavier and obviously the two teams will meet for a second time except this time we'll be at the Cintas Center this Saturday. But we'll talk about that as we get to that. But first, let's dial it back. We have Butler this past Saturday. And as we mentioned before, Dante Vincenzo really bounced back in a big way, dropping a career-high 30-point game. He was 11 for 20 on the floor. Was absolutely fantastic. But, you know, while the 30 points grab your attention, grab your eye, Jay Wright was very impressed with the way he played defense. But as we talked about with Butler Keelan Martin, Kamal Baldwin, they'll get theirs, but the X-Factor in our 101-93 to loss at Hinkle Fieldhouse earlier this season was that they let a third guy step up, and that was Paul Jorgensen. Paul Jorgensen and everyone else was nowhere to be found as not a single Bulldog outside of Martin and Baldwin scored over eight points, and that was big for Villanova, and on the other hand, on the Villanova side, not only did Dante Mchenzo have a big game, but Jalen Brunson just... Took care of business again. He had 27 points. And you had Mikhail Bridges and Omar Spellman with 10 each. As you mentioned, Colin Gillespie got the start. Didn't light it up. But hey, when everyone else is cooking and he was deferring, no problems with that. But Villanova's down three at the break. They just came out of the gate real slow and allowed Butler to take a 21-8 lead to start the game. But they bounced back. They really took it in the second half. Played pretty well coming out of the gate. And then once they got on a nice run to gain some separation, it was all smooth sailing for there. Well, not really smooth sailing, but they were able to breathe and coast to the end. 86 to 75 victory for the Cats. Chris, what stuck out to you?
1: What stuck out to me was how this team was able to rally. They, again, another slow start. I forgot to mention that when we were talking about St. John's, they started off slow in that game, too. But it just seems like every game this year, they're starting off slow. And in this one, particularly, they started off slow. They were down double digits in the early moments of this game. And with Butler hitting everything left and right, you're like, this is going to be a repeat. It's so going to be a repeat. But it wasn't. They were able to lock down on defense. And they were able to cut Butler's scoring output from over 100 to 75 in one meeting. That's very impressive. I was really happy with that. We got to give credit where credit's due. Dante did have a great game. He had that nice outlet pass from under the basket to... To bridge, I believe, yeah, it was Bridges' Outreached arms, similar to the uh, Jenkins the Bridges pass in the against Oklahoma in 2016 uh, in the 2016 Final Four. Similar play. that was a nice play. I was, I was pretty hyped on that. Jalen had a great game again. You didn't shoot that great from three, but when he's doing everything else pretty well, I'm, I'm okay with it. It was a great bounce back win. You know, I'm, all, I'm not happy that they were down early, but I'm happy that they were able to to come back from that and realize, okay we're better than this we're much better than this we can't have another letdown at home let's pick it up a little and that's exactly what they did they dropped 51 points in the second half that's the number one offense in the nation for you that's the number one offense we know and love it's not that is not the offense we saw against st john's and i was really impressed overall team wise bridges did have another down game offensively he had that nice steal and dunk to pretty much seal it but i don't know man i don't know what's happening with him he's struggling really hope he's able to bounce back we're gonna need him in these next few weeks so but other than that everyone else was pretty happy with
0: yeah it was just a pretty solid performance i mean it feels good to get that monkey off your back butler has owned the cats in the previous three meetings before saturday and it just feels good to just get one back against them not only get one back against them but also bounce back like you mentioned especially when there was a 60 minute run worth of three halves of college basketball that just wasn't up to Villanova standard, and you knew that they could play better than the way that they were going out there, and then finally showed it in that second half, putting up 51 points, like you mentioned, and just taking it to the Bulldogs, beating them down. Yeah, Kamar Baldwin, you know, he's a talented guy. He's going to get his, and same with Keelan Martin, but Keelan Martin impressed me with the way that he was just shooting the ball, especially from deep. I've never seen him get hot like that before shooting eight for 12 from long range. Yeah, he had five turnovers. And yeah, he was only two for eight from inside the arc, which is probably, if anything, it's probably the other way around. You would expect him to go eight for 12 from inside and two for eight from deep. But he was shooting well, carrying the Bulldogs. Kamar Baldwin is just a pest, especially when it comes to playing against Villanova. But to lock down everyone else, it's a fine job on in my eyes, especially when it comes to getting that win again. And not only... They bounced back, but the students and the crowd bounced back, too. It looked pretty packed, at least on the students' end. There was just way more students out there. It was a whiteout. I think they said it was listed as a sold-out game, but there were a few empty seats in the corners. But overall, it was a pretty nicely packed arena. The students were buzzing. They were loud. They were into it. And it was good to see Nova Nation actually come out for a whiteout.
1: I think that's just the vibe of weekend games. You just the crowd's much more into it. Everyone's there. It's a weekend. No one's really got much going on. Why not go see a, a great basketball team play? And I was really happy with that. I'm trying to think of like past whiteout games. It was, we had the Syracuse one. I remember that was a whiteout. Wasn't the Creighton Raggy game? Wasn't that a whiteout too? I think yes, it
0: was. It was. I I burned my T-shirt from that game. Like <laughs> no longer exists.
1: <laughs> Good smart move.
0: Yeah, and you wanted to see more zone in that St. John's game. Well, anyone who wanted to see more zone, you definitely got to see more zone. And I thought the freshmen did a pretty good job of handling that and acclimating or just getting used to it. Because, as we know, Villanova is not really a big zone team. Yeah, they have it, or, you know, they have it in the works, they have it in their back pocket. It's not their go-to, but they did a pretty good job running the zone and just doing their job there. But, yeah, it was just good to see them get their chance to just bounce back, get back to the winning ways, because it's going to get a lot harder as we get into this stretch of road games. But first, let's look at the polls. Looking at this week's rankings, Villanova has dropped to number three. Just looking at the top five, you have Virginia as the new number one, Michigan State at number two, Villanova at number three, Xavier at number four, and Cincinnati at number five. Big East, well represented with The top two teams in the conference, sitting at three and four, respectively. Nice top five rankings. They're the only ones ranked. Of course, you have teams like Creighton, Butler, just sitting there in the receiving vote section, waiting to crack that bubble. But Chris, that's your top five. And if you were like me, you probably wondered how.
1: Yes, I did certainly wonder how how Virginia can lose at home to Virginia Tech, a fringe tournament team, a bubble team at its finest, and they moved up a spot. They lost, and they are now the number one team in the country. A lot of people were hesitant to put Michigan State 1, and I get that because they don't have that many quality wins. But if you're going to put Virginia 1, why is Villanova dropping the 3? If anything, you're just going to switch Villanova and Virginia because Villanova's home loss was a little worse than Virginia. So why is Villanova taking a harder hit than Virginia and actually dropping in the polls like they should? That... that didn't make sense to me. I'm also a little surprised Xavier didn't jump Villanova. I would have been for it. It would, it would make for a much intriguing starting line going into this weekend. And Xavier has been playing out of their minds lately. I think they would deserve a nice little bump up to three, but yeah, Virginia at one, I don't get it. I really don't. But like, I guess if you want to look at it this way, that maybe some of the pollsters saw the top 16 reveal the other day. And they're like, oh, well, we should just mimic our polls after that. And that's why they put Virginia 1. Then I, I guess I get that. But then again, why is Villanova dropping the 3?
0: To me, it breaks all unwritten rules of AP voting or just poll ranking when it's, you know, what have you done for me lately versus your overall body of work, your frame of work this season. And I feel like when you lose, no matter what, you go down at least you're supposed to go down and so virginia moving up to number one i don't care if it was a single point loss in overtime it could have been a 20 point loss a loss is a loss and usually that means you go down Yeah, Michigan State, not exactly deserving, I guess, of the number one, or you know, they're not exactly... They've been there before, and then they've lost, and they don't really have that many quality wins on the resume versus a team like Virginia, which has a lot, or Villanova, which also has a lot. But if anything, as we're going to talk about in just a little bit, I'll be honest, after seeing the committee reveal their top 16 rankings, or their top 16 teams and the top four seeds per region... At this point, I, I don't really bother too much with the polls. It's more of so bracketology and what seed are we going to be? Is it going to be one, two, most likely not three, barring some letdown to end the season? But I'm looking more at that seed line now at this point in the game when we're just weeks away from March. Biggies tournament right around the corner. Big Dance right around the corner after that. And I'm just looking at that right now, seeing who can we potentially match up with where do we stand against the rest of the college basketball world? And where do we lie on this 68-team field? And right now, according to the committee, we are a number one team. Virginia is also a number one team. Dave goes with Xavier, but Michigan State is not. This poll was very confusing to me, but at this point, I'm just looking at March. I uh, guess let Virginia have their fun or whatever, but I was very perplexed.
1: Yeah, no, I'm on the same boat as you there. I'm looking forward to March as well in that regard. That's why I'm really not, like, distraught over – not distraught. That's why I'm not upset over the poll, like, all right, you know, Villanova dropped and Virginia moved up. Okay, like, all right, I'm a little miffed at it, but it's not the end of the world or anything. As long as Villanova is a one or a two seed in the East region, I think I'll be happy with that.
0: Yeah, and on the bright side, it seems like a lot of people are perplexed as well in terms of the AP polls. So I feel like we're not alone, and a lot of people are just as confused as to see why Virginia would be number one after losing to Virginia Tech, not exactly a quality team per se. But hey, somehow I guess when you're the ACC, you can do whatever you want. So now the Wildcats will head into Providence, Rhode Island tomorrow night to take on. The Providence Friars, in the first part of this away game stretch, as you mentioned, four of five games coming up to close out the month of February, will be on the road. And they're going to be at all the other tough places to play in, in the Big East Conference. This week, we got Providence and Xavier. Then there's DePaul. And then after that, there's Creighton and Seton Hall. So with Providence, we know how it is. They're a much different team when it comes to playing inside the Dunkin' Donuts Center. They've only lost twice there. One time, it needed a superhuman effort by Marcus Howard to down the Friars in which he scored. What was it? 52? 50-something. I forgot what it was exactly, but it was like 50. I think it was 52.
1: Yeah, I think it was.
0: And then, well, I wouldn't say it was a tough place to play in, but DePaul made it look like cake <laughs> over the weekend, beating Providence by 17. I don't think anyone saw that coming. But putting all that aside, the dunk is a real tough place to play in, and Jay Wright teams have historically had a hard time. Not so much in recent years, but the dunk has given Jay Wright and the Wildcats some issues in the past. When you look at Providence, what they've done at home, like they've beaten Xavier. They've beaten Creighton. They've beaten Butler. They've pulled off these impressive wins at home. Do you see Villanova suffering the same fate as some of these other teams? Or do you see them just doing what they've done in recent years and just going into the dunk and taking care of business and getting out of there?
1: It, it, this is this is a really tough game to call i feel like i it, i obviously it all depends a lot not all but a lot depends on the health of eric pascal I'm pretty sure he won't be ready because concussions can be forever can take a while i think you don't want to mess with those so hold them out as long as necessary it depends on what team's going to show up if it's the team that showed up in the second half against butler i think we'll be in good shape but if it's a team that showed up for the last three halves of basketball before that i think we're in, we're in some deep crap but at the same time Providence losing to the ball I mean I think that gives me a lot of hope for this game any concerns are kind of subsided a little bit I think Villanova escapes I think they'll end up winning but it's going to be a real tough one I know we struggled there last year but we're able to come away with a victory I think we almost choked away a big lead in that game too because that was right off the heels of the Marquette game. I don't remember how that exactly went down. I remember something along the lines of that. A few years ago, you had the classic arch, fake handoff, go up with the left hand layup to basically seal the game in overtime for that. So you've had some classes at the dunk they'll win this, and then we'll go to Xavier, and I think that'll be the banger game. But let's get through this first. Hopefully they don't overlook the Friars and come out of Providence with a victory.
0: And you can't forget the Daryl Reynolds game when he came in for an injured chef and had a career day. Looking at this Providence team, obviously you have Kyron Cartwright, who's probably one of the best point guards around, or at least one of the best facilitators around. Averaging six times per game, doesn't really turn the ball over that much. He's a great facilitator. And really, while Rodney Bullock might be the team's leading scorer, in my opinion, Kyron Cartwright is the most important player to that team. Rodney Bullock, he comes in with 14 points per game. Then you have Alpha Diallo a rising sophomore who's really taking a, a big step forward. I don't think he's hit his ceiling yet or his potential yet, but he is the second-highest scorer with 12 points per game, just over six boards per game. And, of course, you have Jalen Lindsey, who is their three-point sharpshooting threat, probably the only one this team has. He averages just over 10 points per game. And he's shooting 45.9% from deep, someone to certainly look out for. When you look at this prominent squad, one thing that they do very well is take away the three-point shot, and we saw Villanova the last time they played Providence really struggled to knock down the threes, and it was a little bit of a slow start at the Wells Fargo Center for the Wildcats, but then once the shots started falling, they really ran away and just took over and won by 20. I think we're going to see a lot of bully ball. It's not going to be a pretty game. I think there's going to be a lot of trips to the free-throw line for both teams, and I think Villanova does squeeze this one out, it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to look pretty. It's not going to look aesthetically pleasing. You might fall asleep a little bit just because everyone's going to the free throw line, or it just might be a lot of twos and a lot of misses. But I think Villanova's able to squeeze this one out at the dunk tomorrow night.
1: And you hope that the Providence team that played against the Paul and, and Marquette come out, and it's not the, t- the team that gets up for the big games like they did against Creighton and Xavier and the, the, and the like. It's really weird how – I mean, if you're a Friars fan, you got to be very frustrated with this team because they they play so good against the top-end teams. then When they play the lower-end teams, they play down the competition, it seems like, every time. Slow starts. Try to avoid that, especially in a Rockets arena. You kind of want to avoid that because coming back down the road is is an awfully tough task. Hopefully they get off to a strong start and they go from there.
0: Tip off is tomorrow night on Ash Wednesday slash Valentine's Day, seven p.m. Eastern Time. You can catch it on Fox Sports One. I know you were shocked that DePaul beat the Friars, but I always tell everyone DePaul always gets one. They always get one. They always get one that no one expects them to get. They always do it somehow each year.
1: That's true. <laughs> that is true. When they almost got us last year,
0: we'll be keeping an eye out for that game. But before we put this weekend to rest, let's look at the Lady Cats who took care of business. Ryan Bowman was in attendance covering for View Hoops for both women's basketball games this past weekend. One on Friday against St. John's and then one on Sunday against the Seton Hall Pirates. Won both games and now for the sixth straight season. They are sitting pretty with 20 wins so far for the year. A number that they have a pretty good chance to build upon and get a really nice, healthy resume going into NCAA tournament considerations. But looking at the St. John's game, they exploded in the fourth quarter to win 69-52. to And although St. John's started off hot and they stormed all over the Cats to begin the game, Bolanova was able to compose itself, get a really big game from Mary Kudeka, who finished with 21 points and five rebounds. And then another nice game from Alex Lewin, who had a double-double with 15 points and 11 rebounds, including a perfect 5-for-5 from beyond the arc. Chris, what stuck out to you about this St. John's game?
1: Similar to how the men's team responded to Butler punching them in the face initially. I liked how the women's team responded to an early deficit. At one point, they were down 10. It was 16-6 to late in the first quarter. And then after that, they went on a huge, not so much a huge run. They're actually losing at half. But then in the second half, they were able to regroup and were able to blow away the red storm. I was really impressed with that because you've seen this team at home a couple games this year. Kind of fall by the wayside where where you would expect them to win. Against a similar opponent talent wise, but you know, a slow start here and a slow start there, and then they would end up losing. They started off slow, but they were able to recoup. And like you said, I think Alex Lewin was the key contributor with 15 points, especially with the five of five from deep, adding 11 boards. I think she really spearheaded the whole comeback there. And the fourth quarter performance I can't say enough about that absolutely fantastic, dropping 29 points in that frame, only allowing 11. They played a good defensive game. They didn't allow more than 16 points in any of the quarters, and that was in the first quarter. After that, they kind of locked down on St. John's. They didn't allow much of anything from beyond the arc. 5-19 and 19 from deep St. John's went. So, yeah, I thought they played a complete game after the first quarter. I thought they were able to really rally and figure this one out.
0: Yeah, totally. St. John's isn't exactly a stellar team, and same goes for Seton Hall. But it was conceivable to take care of business Come back from behind and just really dart ahead. Especially, you don't want to drop one at St. John's, and both teams frustrated Villanova when they went on the road earlier in the year. But we didn't seem to get any glimpse of that this time around, as they just totally down St. John's. Mary Gadeka has just been phenomenal off the bench. She's been thriving in that sixth woman role, and I think she's a great, great asset for the Cats. She's only a sophomore. She's really taken a big leap forward. If we want to just carry over that moniker of sixth starter, I think she pretty much fulfills that she's such a great contributor and I think I counted earlier I can't find in my notes but if I'm not mistaken she scored double digits in eight or nine of the last 10 games so a crazy crazy stat phenomenal just right up there with everyone else she might not be a starter but she does play big minutes and she does contribute some big points and good scoring good energy and rebounds off the bench
1: yeah no I completely agree with you we kind of overlooked her in the beginning part of the year, because you had the big three of Lou and Jaycott and Tucker and even Megan Quinn and Adriana Hahn. I mean, honestly, the whole yeah, starting five is pretty good. But you have to, for her to come off the bench and really provide the, the spark that this team needs every now and then, I remember in that tough stretch when they were playing like a game every other day, it felt like she was the one really spearheading the charge because the starters were so gassed, it felt like that they weren't able to get anything going, but Kadeka had some big games in there to really propel them to some wins that maybe they shouldn't have gotten with the performance from their starters. So so yeah, I've been really impressed by her this year, and it's been a big reason why Villanova has been so good this year.
0: Moving on to Sunday, the Lady Cats took on the Seton Hall Pirates, hosted them at home. It's another pretty good... Well attended game. These games have been pretty nicely attended, which is great for the Cats. And also, it's good to see people support this Villanova team because they're looking very good this year. With most of their core being so young, it's looking like a pretty solid two, three years. And then who knows with recruiting what can happen from there. But they took on the Seen Hall Pirates. This is a scene Hall Pirates squad that is a lot better than earlier in the year and the first time Villanova saw them. They might have had a case of addition through subtraction with leading scorer Dynasia Fountain quitting the team or just leaving the team. And since then, they have actually done very well for themselves. Now they go into the Wildcats home arena, playing them at Jake Neverfield has, and they did not give them an easy time. Villanova won 59 to 53. Chris, what do you think about the Pirates in this one? Clearly a different team from last time.
1: Yes, they certainly were a different team this time around. And they showed some resolve by able to scrap, scrap their way back into the game in the fourth quarter, outscoring the Wildcats nineteen to thirteen. But Villanova's twelve point lead at the end of the third was just too much to overcome. You know, it was weird because Villanova wasn't able to hit their free throws on the day, only two of eight, and even from the three point line, they were only nine of twenty seven. But again, they were able to work the ball inside, and they were able to really control the pace of play from that. And I believe that just. The the way that they were able to control the first three quarters, I think that pretty much determined the game. I don't know how Seton Hall was going to come back completely in that fourth quarter. I think Villanova kind of just laid off the gas a little bit, and that's the reason why Seattle was able to claw its way back in. Another great game by Alex Lewin. She dropped 12 points, contributed 14 boards. Back to back double doubles for her. Adriana Hahn had 10. Kelly Jaycott had 12. Kadeko off the bench had eight. Another good all around performance by this team.
0: Just looking at, at the rest of the schedule, we're coming down the home stretch here with the Wildcats as they only have four games remaining this season. This upcoming weekend, they'll be going on the road against. Two of the top teams in the Big East. And then after that, they'll come home to play Creighton and Providence at home to wrap up the season. Theoretically speaking, if they can come out with three, they're probably not going to get all four. If they get all four, that'd be very impressive. But if they come away with three, that would be pretty solid.
1: Yes, it would. Because if they're coming away with three, that means they had to have won one of the big ones on the road, and that's against the Paul or Marquette. I know they were able to get to the Paul at home. When they played the Paul and Marquette back-to-back games at at the at Jake Nevin, and now they got to go on the road and do the same thing, it would be really, really impressive. And but if they get all four, and it would be, honestly, it would be impressive to get just get three. I mean, if you're if they're able to win the last two, I think I still think they're in the tournament. But one of those road wins against the top teams in the Big East, I think, would pretty much make them a lock.
0: Yeah, just looking at things right now, the Lady Cats are third in the Big East sitting with a 10-4 and four conference record. They've been playing very well since that little bit of a slow start in which they started off Big East play with three with a 3-3 three and three back-and-forth go. Right behind them is Creighton. So that last senior day game to close out the regular season might be an important one. But, of course, ahead of them is DePaul in first, Marquette in second. So they'll get to get their cracks against them and see how they stand up against the two top teams the conference. They did blow out Nepal before. It'll be interesting to see if they can do it again on the road. And Marquette hasn't looked that invincible as of late. So we'll see how it goes for them. We'll be keeping an eye out for that. We're not going to preview this weekend's games yet. We're going to save that for the Thursday episode. Before we dive into the mailbag, let's just talk about the relatively new thing that the NCAA has done. This is the second year now that they've done this in which the committee reveal their top 16 teams i guess the top four seeds per region in the ncaa tournament so if the tournament started this past sunday on cbs they had the little special i don't know if you saw i don't know what's there were there's a lot to unpack here first of all after virginia lost to virginia tech they got rewarded with the number one overall seed Yes, this is, these are all projections. These are all basically this is all basically fancy projections to see how your team is doing this late in the season with postseason stuff just around the corner. But after Virginia at the number one overall seed, you had Xavier, Villanova, and Purdue locking in those top four seats with Villanova in the East and then Xavier in the Midwest. Chris, looking at these sixteen teams, what stuck out to you?
1: You mentioned Virginia. And I, at first I was like, "Wow, that's that's pretty funny." You lose at home to a okay Virginia Tech team in overtime, and you're rewarded with the number one overall seed. And then you look through the rest of the one seeds and even the two seeds, and you're like, "In reality, who's who's going to replace them?" Do you see Xavier as the number one overall seed right now? No, Purdue just had a terrible week. They lost twice. Duke's not a number one seed. Auburn's had a surprise season, and they're playing pretty well, but I don't think they're a one seed. Kansas, no. Cincinnati, no. So it, it really, it comes down to Virginia and, and Villanova, and Villanova just lost to St. John's at home, so we can't, we can't even say anything with that. So I guess they kind of backed into it, but it is nice to see that Villanova and Xavier both one seeds, And, you know, for a conference that is, quote-unquote, a mid-major, according to um, some network, it's really exciting to see. And I really hope this kind of stays the same way. And I really hope Villanova and Xavier are both one-seeds because that would really, really stick it to them. And hopefully they were able to follow it up with good performances, but we're still in February. Also, Duke as our two-seed, that's freaking hilarious. Of course they are. Always will be. It just seems that the the committee always tries for that Villanova-Duke matchup. And they did get it that one time in 9 and Villanova beat the crap out of them. That was a fun time. If they want to do it again, do it again, please. And And that game was also in Boston, so that would be pretty funny Oklahoma even in the top 16 that's hilarious that's a joke I don't know why Oklahoma's terrible they're 500 in the big 12 and they're they're playing like absolute crap Michigan State at th- the three line a lot of people were upset with that I guess I'm not upset with it I get it but I mean I would put them as a two over Cincinnati maybe even Auburn but their resume is not that impressive and then I mean if you want to just go on with the Villanova region, Duke has the two seed, as I mentioned. Texas Tech is our three seed. They're another surprise team. I, I really haven't watched much of their games, but, it, I mean, that would be a, a pretty exciting game, Duke-Texas Tech, if that were to fall that way. And then Ohio State is our four. Very intriguing because you know, we all know who's coaching Ohio State. That would be former Butler coach Chris Holman. So imagine if we have to go up against Chris Holman, Butler's former coach, who beat us twice last year. That's not good. I would not be excited about that
0: I was pretty intrigued to see two Big East teams sitting atop college basketball NCAA tournament. I mean, if you just look at it, I think I joked with you a few days ago. I was like, oh, the committee will die before they let two Big East teams sit with number one seeds. But alas, here we are. The committee has allowed that to happen. Michigan State, they're three seed, but... If you look at their strength of schedule, non-con strength of schedule, I think they're ranked 306. So yeah, not not too good there. Auburn has been a nice surprise. Texas Tech, I did see them play Seton Hall once at the Garden earlier this season, and Seton Hall beat them. It was a pretty good game. I haven't really seen much Texas Tech since then, so I guess I'm gonna have to see how far they've gone since that was like a November or an early December game. So I'm sure they've changed since then. Purdue. As the last number one, intriguing, but you know what? Of course they'd put Ohio State in Villanova's bracket. And of course Duke would be there, and you know I would be willing to bet that our eight seed or eight nine matchup would be like a another sketchy. Let's underseed a talented team and put them there just to spite them.
1: Oh, it's going to be Kentucky. We all know it's Kentucky. It will be Kentucky. I will die on that hill until the bracket comes out. It will be Kentucky. I'm convinced.
0: And then NC State, just because. Just because.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, as the ninth seed. <laughs> Kentucky's the eighth, mm-hmm. NC State's the nine, and then we can we all get a nice hearty laugh before the round of 32.
0: Yeah, and then St. John's will be the sixteen seed matchup.
1: <laughs> so, you know, you joke about that, but watch them win the Big East tournament. <laughs> Where are they going to put them? They're, they're going to put them with us,
0: obviously. Now, once again, these are by no means the end of the projected end of year brackets. This is just solely looking up Till February 11th, this past Sunday. And so basically, it's a nice way to see how your team's doing, but at the end of the day, they are just fancy bracketology, as I like to call it, because they got their own little 30-minute special on CBS to discuss this, and a lot of people tuned in. Yeah, I
1: mean, I don't mind it. It creates some discussion. We're in the doldrums of college basketball season. Like I know there's a lot of great games going on, but like we're just so close to March, and everyone's just trying to get to March. So this is nice to have... In, as an interim, and I know everyone gets upset about it by the littlest things. Like, oh, Michigan State should have been a two or whatever it may be. But, like, or my team should have been a four seed. Like, honestly, who cares? Like, we still got a whole month to play. Still got confidence to go through. Let, let's get through it first before we start getting real angry.
0: To give the committee credit, though, I think last year, when the first time that they did this, they obviously gave their 16-team projection. And they got 15 of them right. So that's a pretty good, 15 out of 16, that's a pretty good grade. That's a pretty good mark.
1: I think they got three of the four one seeds right. I think the only one they switched out, I think UNC was a two seed at the time and they jumped in. I forgot what they replaced though. But they got all the other one seeds right. So something, they must be doing something right.
0: I will say though, if this top 16 or top four seed reveal did anything for me, it just made me that more excited for Selection Sunday.
1: Yes, I got the same vibe as well because I didn't I didn't watch any of it last year. I didn't watch any of those reveal shows, but for some reason I was just really intrigued for this one. I don't know why. And yeah, like you see, like the teams getting popped up there and the bracket, East all, all the regions shown up there, and you got Greg Gumbel out there. You know, it gets you in the mood and it makes you also realize that you're so we're so close to March, but yet so far.
0: Now it's that time of day where we crack open the mailbag, take a look at your questions. We're going to backtrack a little bit and get the questions that we missed, which would have been for last Thursday's episode. So we're going to hit those, and then we're going to get all the new ones that we got over the last 24 hours. As always, you can tweet us your questions, anything you want us to talk about at pod, and we'll discuss them on the show. You can also leave your questions or any talking points in the comment section of a podcast thread, and it'll get its way to us. Just look at these questions right now. We have a few really good ones. Uh, first one is from Mike Jacobs. He wants to know if you could have another Big East player to fit a hole on Villanova's roster, who would it be?
1: This is tough. Man, I, I would love to have Marcus Howard just to have an absolute OP offense and then just play silly ball for the rest of the year, but that but Villanova does not have a hole in that regard on the offensive side, so I guess we want to look more towards the defensive end. I guess maybe Kyrie Thomas or maybe Angel Delgado for maybe a little bit of a both-offense-defense uh, combo there.
0: See, so you say Marcus Howard. I don't know if I feel like he needs the ball too much in order to dominate, but I would love... If we're talking offense, to just go OP, let's go with Marcus Foster. (laughs) Let's just load up with that. But, you know, I'll be honest. I look at Butler's team, and I really like Keelan Martin. I think he's just been consistently great over the last few years, especially this year where he's just really taking off. But then Kamar Baldwin is also another appealing prospect to me. He's just such a great two-way guard. That's just such a pest on defense. Does a little bit of everything. Grabs boards, dishes out assists. He can also get buckets on his own terms. I really like watching him. I guess, would it be to just to fit a hole on Villanova's roster overall? Or are we just talking about right now with a few guys down and injured? Because if we're talking right now with a few guys down, I would totally welcome a Kamar Baldwin. I feel like he'd be another great guard that can fill the gap left behind by Phil Booth. But if we're talking overall, I would be down for a Keelan Martin, a nice He's a pretty good player on both ends of the court. He's not exactly, he doesn't exactly lean towards one end like uh, Marcus Foster would or uh, Marcus Howard would. He can contribute on both ends of the court and I'd be down for him. He, he also has a pretty good element of size. He can shoot threes. He can score, get buckets, grab boards. I feel like he'd be a nice addition to Villanova's roster as well. And he's a senior and we all know Jay loves his seniors.
1: Yeah. Those are two great picks right there. I, I, Completely disregarded Butler when thinking about that question. I don't know what it is. They always, just that team just slips under the radar so much, especially when I just think of the biggies. I don't know why. I just seem to overlook them. But yeah, no, two good picks there. I would welcome both of them. I'd welcome anyone because uh, when you're down two starters, you'll take anybody who's starting on any other team.
0: The next question is from notorious golfer who has changed his name to The Dude. Totally love The Big Lebowski. Great name change. Great picture. If anyone has not seen that movie, I totally recommend it. I think it's on Netflix. I'm not 100% sure if it still is, but it is an excellent movie. Totally recommend. His question is, do you want Nova to have a one seed or a two seed? Personally, I like the two seed better as it takes a lot of the national media off of you, at least in the early rounds of March. I'll be honest with you, when your name's Villanova, You could be a 1 seed, 2 seed, 3 seed, 16 seed, 15 seed, 10 seed, 8 seed. If you are not getting past the round of 32, you are getting a lot of national media pressure on you.
1: That is a fair point, for sure. But to answer the question... I mean, I, I would want a one seed. Why wouldn't you want a one seed? The, the whole point is to to be the top team in in your bracket. Like, all right, last time we were a two seed, we won the national championship. Ooh, like, I hate how some people think that if Villanova gets a two seed again, they're just gonna waltz their way to a national championship because they'll have less pressure. They they won't. I think it's gonna be maybe it won't be as high, but it'll still be it'll still be an, an insane amount of pressure, like you're saying, until they get past the round of thirty two. With that being said, I do think in 2016 the best thing that happened to that team was to lose against Seton Hall in the Big East final, because I think it set them straight and I think it made them regroup and reassess. And I think once they got past Iowa in the round of 32 and that monkey was off their back, then they just kind of let it all hang out after that. So, but in reality, I would want a one seed, but I would totally welcome a two seed as long as it's in the East. I don't, I don't really care. I think they will play great in Boston or, or really anywhere they go, honestly
0: i totally welcome a one seed. I mean, you got to hope that third time would be the charm, and you would love to think that the committee would not shaft them by putting four seeds in disguise as eight seeds. Like, let's be honest, there was a, a little questionable of a job done by the committee last season when it came to seeding and putting Wisconsin in that 8-9 matchup. But, hey, that's neither here or there, and that's in the past. Obviously, I'd like to see Villanova get the one seed. I mean, theoretically, you should be able to get the best path, to go far but I think at the end of the day yeah you're right one seed two seed I think it'd be great to see them obviously with either or it's fine with me but I think the key part is just being in that east regional and I think just getting as close as you can to being at home would just be big for them personally though if I had to pick hit me up with that one seed all day I think this is a team that they've experienced both they've been there done that when it comes to being the one seed and the two seed, you had Jalen Brunson. He's experienced both so far. And I think he knows what it takes. And I think, you know, aside from him, you have other veterans like Bridges, Chenzo, Phil Booth. The guys who've been there before with the one or the two, Eric Pascal included. So I feel like now that they've seen both, they've experienced both, I feel like they'd be better equipped to handle either. But they would also be better equipped to handle that the pressures of being a one seed. Notorious golfer also had this other question. What's the deal with the recruiting class? How is Nova doing? And how is this booth injury hurting Nova's offense?
1: Well, for the recruiting class, I mean, we got the big two everyone's been talking about with Swider and Slater. But now there's a, there was an announcement that Javon Quinterly will be announcing where he will be attending college on Wednesday evening. So we'll talk about that Thursday. Uh, Villanova is obviously in the running. They were in on him before he committed to Arizona, and then he decommitted because of the whole FBI thing. But Villanova, I believe Villanova stayed with them, So we'll see where he ends up choosing Wednesday. So that's pretty much the update on the recruiting class. You could talk more about that. You know more about that than I do. But with regards to the Phil Booth injury, I mean, you could tell, I kind of get the feeling that the offense seems more of a give me the ball type ordeal and let me do my thing and you know it's fine like if Jalen's cooking or if Dante was cooking the last game but but as we saw against St. John's it's not good they're better off sharing the ball and they're not swinging the ball enough I feel like they're not making the extra pass like they're used to I mean I know I'm kind of speaking in generalizations there but that, that's just the overall feel I get it feels more like an NBA offense now I wouldn't say that Phil Booth's injury is been a complete detriment to the offense but i feel that it's it's more of a selfish type game right now
0: as for the recruiting class we do have the corner league commitment coming up tomorrow night i think they said it was around 6 or 6 30 p.m that he would make it his announcement eastern time according to my sauces it's looking pretty good for nova but you can never be 100 percent sure until you see that man put ink to paper and make it official or put that hat on or put the shirt on however he decides to show his college decision Villanova was in the mix has been in the mix was a very big front runner to nab him until Arizona came in with a briefcase of money but some things went down he's no longer with Arizona Villanova has been involved other schools that have been or you know started talking to him in the last couple months include Oklahoma and a little bit of Seton Hall among others But really, it seems like it's Villanova and Oklahoma. It seems to be the ones that have really been talking to him, coming into this decision. We'll keep an eye out for that, obviously, because that's going to be some big news. But I have a pretty good feeling for tomorrow. And aside from that, the other part of this question, I feel like the Booth injury is actually impacting Nova's defense more than it is on offense. Not only do you put more stress on your freshmen or your first-year players, more on offense, but especially I feel like that that inexperience really comes out on the defensive side of the court. And Phil Booth is one of our better defenders on this team, probably McHale number one and then him number two. So we're really starting to see teams maybe pick apart these freshmen or you see a little mental lapses here and there. I feel like Phil Booth is a great defender. He doesn't get enough credit for that. He gets a lot of credit for his dropping 20 in the national championship game, as he should, but he is also a great defender, and when he gets hot, he gets hot, and he's a nice little scoring addition. With him out, though, you put a little more stress on the freshmen, namely Colin Gillespie and Demir Cosby-Rountree, to really step up. Dante is Dante, but in my opinion, Phil Booth does his own thing, and there's not that many people that can copy it. And even if there were people that can copy it, Having him off and on the sideline, that takes away one less valuable defender that Villanova could be using and applying on the court right now
1: yeah I really liked your your point with how the freshmen have to step up and you know i, I feel like we're at the point in the season now where I, I feel like they would be having to step up anyway, but yeah when you ha- you had a big injury to booth and yes now to to pascal they're they're playing minutes that they really shouldn't have been playing and they're forced into these roles that they may or may not be ready for, and you know when Colin Gillespie's out there, it's a completely different game than when Phil Booth's out there, offensively and defensively. I completely disregarded the defensive option as well. Yes, Phil Booth is one of the best defensive players on this team, that's for sure. So yes, if when you got when you have the freshmen out there who aren't as equipped to the offense or whatever it may be, it, it, you can tell that the offense slows down a little bit and defensively it's a little slow to react to some switches and to some plays that you know maybe a senior would be able to pick up.
0: This question is from Jerry Quinn. This is a pretty good one. Would you rather win all your final road games and lose your final two home games or would you rather lose the Xavier and Seton Hall game and then win the other four remaining games so that would be Creighton, DePaul, Georgetown and Providence.
1: This is also a tough one. Wow. So the two home games would be the Paul and Georgetown, right?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's the two final home games. So at first, this question seemed like an easy walk in the park, no brainer, by winning your final road games. But then when you thought about it, or just thinking about it for a second, mm-hmm. you're like, wait a second. Right. We win all those road games. That means we're taking two really bad L's at home.
1: Exactly. Oh, this is this is tough because there's the four big road wins. Is that canceled out by? by the two bad losses and I, I think it I think it is almost. But at the same time Villanova already has the bad loss, so I I don't know.
0: Wow. There is the middle ground option with losing Xavier and Seton Hall, but you win the other four.
1: Right. I mean I mean that's how I see it playing out as is anyway. But still like it's kind of tempting to take those two road wins at Seton Hall and Xavier and they'll just be like, yeah, you know, you lost to the Paul. Actually, no, no, that sounds terrible on paper. I'll, I'll take the latter option.
0: Yeah, see, that's the yeah. thing. I just can't stomach losing to the Paul and Georgetown. I just, oh, but winning those final road games would be so nice.
1: Yeah. You'd it would be, be able to beat
0: everyone and just go unscathed in that giant road trip.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you're picking up probably, it would probably be two quadrant one win, uh, wins, right? You think all would be there, right? I know Xavier definitely would be. You see, halls like fringe, there, there might be quad too, but still, oh, I don't know. I think I'd go with the more balanced option. And I think that's just because I just, that's just how I see it happening anyway. And also, in the first option, you would take a loss to Georgetown. You don't want to lose to this Georgetown team either. I mean, you just don't want to lose to Georgetown, period. But, but this, but this team specifically, yeah, no, that's not happening. That would be a really, really bad.
0: I forgot who did it. If it was mid major madness, or Daily Dose type of hoops. But on Twitter, they pointed out that Ryder counted as a Quadrant 1 win, and uh, St. John's was also a Quadrant 1 win, apparently. I I don't know. I don't know.
1: Wait, what? <laughs> what? I thought well, – okay. All right, you know what?
0: I forgot who pointed out know? on Twitter, but I saw it yesterday, and I wasn't sure if I actually saw it or if that was just me half asleep and it was too early in the morning.
1: <laughs> yeah, I – that makes no sense to me. Sorry, doesn't. I don't get it. But sure, let's 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 roll with it. I'm not gonna ask any questions. If if they said it and you saw it, I'll, I'll take your word for it.
0: I didn't do my due diligence to fact check them, but I'll take their word for it, considering how they have a reputation and thousands of followers that they could potentially mislead. But in terms of Jerry's question, you know what? I know it would suck to lose to DePaul and Georgetown, but give me all of those road wins. That's going to look really good for the resume. And if there's anything that we learned from the polls of this past weekend, if you're Virginia, you can lose whenever you want. It could be a bad loss, but it's okay. You're not dropping anywhere because you have a good resume.
1: Oh, that's true. Completely forgot about that. Can't wait to lose to Xavier this weekend, and then we get bumped back up to one. That'd be real cool.
0: Yeah, it makes no sense, but... I'll be honest, I know, we're, just to dab a little bit, I am feeling very confident for Saturday. I do think we're going to win, and I'll tell you more why on Thursday, but I do not think we're going to lose to Xavier. I think we're actually going to win that one. Really? I did mention a little bit in my weekly Big East predictions, standing, schedule post on VU Hoops, so if you want to check that out, it's there, but I do really think that we're going to beat Xavier.
1: All right, I'll, we'll save the talk for Thursday. I'd like to hear your reasoning.
0: If I'm wrong, we could totally just put this in playback mode next Tuesday or whatever.
1: Oh, like we did with the uh, Battle for Atlantis
0: tournament. That was great. Exactly. We have another question, and this is from Brad Alvarez. Who is the flukiest champion in the last 10 years?
1: I mean, right off the bat, your mind goes right to 2014 UConn. Seven seed, led by Shabazz, Napier, and. Making an incredible tournament run, beating Novell along the way, and then they get to the final four and they end up beating a, a what I perceive to be a vastly underseeded Kentucky team as an eight seed in the final to win the whole thing and i I'm, I'm pretty sure that Kentucky team was an eight seed only to screw over Wichita State who was a one seed in their bracket so yeah that was a really weird tournament I think it was Wisconsin and Harris. I forget who the other team was. It might have been Arizona in that final four, but yeah, that was a really weird year. And uh, you had a seven versus eight matchup, and it was weird at the time because we're like, we didn't really like UConn. At least I didn't, so I didn't want to see them win the tournament. But at the same time, I wanted Villanova's lowest seed ever to ever to win a tournament record hold up. So I was kind of rooting for Shabazz in that in that regard. So so yeah, I, I I would go with that as a fluke. No one no one saw that coming.
0: For reference and to refresh people's memories, UConn's path to the championship was a pretty interesting one. They needed overtime to beat St. Joe's in the opening round. Then they beat Nova as we all know. After that, they beat three-seeded Iowa State. Then they took down four-seeded Michigan State. Then after that, in the Final Four, they beat number one Florida. And then they got eight-seeded Kentucky for all the marbles.
1: I think the their Sweet 16 Elite 8 games were in the Garden, if I remember correctly. But something about UConn in the Garden, man.
0: I don't know if this question was meant for just college basketball because my mind was actually shifted towards the NBA. And I was looking specifically at the 2011 Dallas Mavericks that beat the first year of LeBron James and company in the Miami Heat. What they went through, they swept the Lakers. <laughs> The defending champions beating Kobe and Phil Jackson and all them. Then after that, they took down KD, Westbrook, and OKC Thunder. Then they play LeBron and the Heatles. And Dirk Nowitzki is shooting some, I forgot what insane streak he had from the free throw line. And not to mention, he perfected the one-foot fadeaway step back, that thing that he used to do that was guaranteed money every time. I don't think anyone saw them beating the Miami Heat, and surely enough, the Dallas Mavericks did it, and they beat LeBron, Bosh, and Wade in their first year together in Miami, and I think, to me, that was the flukiest team because they have been a shell of that championship form ever since.
1: Yeah, I didn't know if the question was uh, pertaining directly to college basketball or not, but uh, I mean, I guess that's that's a decent pick. That's a good pick. But I, I don't know. I got. Hold on. Let me let me run through some sports here. Hockey. I, I feel like everything that's won in the past ten years has has sustained success and really wasn't a fluke. The NBA. I guess Dallas would be the most fluky one because everybody else is just the same. It's just whoever LeBron's on and the Warriors and baseball. I, I feel like the Cardinals and like the Giants. Like those teams are like okay. Like the, the Giants teams that have won, that won like every other year, or what was it like every even year they've won from 2010 to 2014. Like those teams were, I don't, I wouldn't say they were flukes, but it was just like, all right, like you, you basically produced the same team year in and year out, but they they were only they would only show up every even year. That was really weird. But if we want to go with football, it's it's gotta be your guys. It's gotta be the New York Giants.
0: There will be no Giants later on the show.
1: <laughs> well, it it was them, Eugene. <laughs> Sorry.
0: It was only just one helmet catch and pinpoint accuracy that Eli Manning probably only throws one every 300 times and just happens to get it to Mario Manningham in an amazing fashion in which only he could have caught that ball.
1: Yep. And uh, Wes Welker just couldn't keep his hands on the ball. And the, the last second Hail Mary Gronk was just hurt. That's why he couldn't reach for the ball and, and grab it, and then the Giants went lost. That would have been fun. But I guess for baseball, I don't know. I feel like those Cardinals and Giants teams, they at least won multiple times. So I'll give them a break on that. I, I guess I guess if I had to pick one, it would be 2013 Red Sox. They, were, they weren't really good outside of that year and the years leading up to it and the years after, with the exception of the past two years. So they kind of came out of nowhere and won the whole thing. But I, I wouldn't really call it a fluke. The Giants were a fluke, though. I'm sorry.
0: Oh, brother, this guy stinks! No, 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 chill, 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 We're going to change the subject before you slander the giant some more on this beautiful show. Uh, the ne- <laughs> <laughs> the okay. next question, well, it's not really a question that was asked. I think I just kind of backed myself into it, and now a lot of people have actually asked to see this. So in the tweet off the State of the Nova Nation podcast Twitter account, I mentioned, oh, if you have anything you want to discuss on Valentine's Day or maybe some meatless food power rankings for Ash Wednesday and Lent, ask away. Like, ask anything. It was just kind of a way to just start up the conversation. But then you have Catherine Ryan and then you have Mike Jacobs asking to see these power rankings and then a few more people just tweeting, asking for it as well. And it was like, okay, well, I guess now at this point the people want it and now I guess we have to talk about it. And I did not have anything prepared because I did not think that it would take off in this manner. And, you know, all these basketball questions and what people wanted to hear the most was our meatless food power rankings. So I guess we're going to go top five. Top five meatless foods to eat during Lent, especially. I mean, you can eat them anytime, but during Lent they get they get bonus points on a scale Mm -hmm. from one to 10. All
1: right. So we're going top five. No Mount Rushmore here.
0: Uh, I guess Mount Rushmore and one honorable mention. Okay, Okay. top five. Top five.
1: Okay. All right. Okay. You you go first. You 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 were pre pre exposed to this question.
0: Yeah. See, this is hard because I didn't really come up with anything. But uh, you gotta put a margarita pizza in there somewhere. Margarita pizza is in there somewhere. Eggplant, whether it's parmesan, rollatini, that's gotta be on there. Now that I'm thinking about this, a lot of these options are Italian. Uh, <laughs> it's all, of, all Italian. <laughs> yeah, my next one was going to be pasta, <laughs> specifically penne alla vodka. But it could really be any whatever pasta floats your boat. I can't wait for Mike Jacobs to just go in on this. I'll probably come in with some vegan dish that I, I'm totally overlooking that's very delicious. Is fried calamari Italian? Does that does that count? I feel like you can get that anywhere. I don't yeah. know if it's Italian. I, I, that I would think be on there too.
1: I think the us Italians have, have adopted it as as our own. I mean, heck, when I was growing up, I my grandmother always used to tell me they were Italian French fries. So that's how I rolled it.
0: And then uh for my fifth option, the honorable mention. Whew, See, that's hard because I could throw like three things here. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do that. Uh, I'm going to throw in grilled cheese, uh, potato samosas, going Indian style, and a peanut butter jelly sandwich, Old Faithful. Can't go wrong with that. Oh, man. And how can I forget tuna sandwiches? Uh oh. well, there you go. I just threw four names out there.
1: Okay. All right. See, see when, I, when I heard this question, I'm like, if, I, if it's a Friday and I had to pick something to eat, what would it be? So I kind of throw pasta out of the equation because I can I would probably just have that on the Sunday anyway, and I probably wouldn't eat it Friday and Sunday. So I'm gonna go kind of a non-Italian route, kind of delineating from my Italian roots. I think sushi's a great option. I oh, think that's in how there.
0: How did I forget sushi? Oh my god, yeah. I thought about that when I saw the tweet. Oh
1: that, that was the first thing that I thought of. Oh. Um,
0: I'm so disappointed in myself because I was actually planning to get sushi on Friday.
1: <laughs> yes. As am I. Oh, we should, should go together. Um, but yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking of. And now that, you know, my taste buds have developed and I'm not a child anymore. I can actually eat that and actually have another option on a Friday. Pizza. I agree completely. Any plain pizza. That's fine. Eggplant. Yes. That would, uh, that would be suffice. Um I guess, actually no, I'm actually kind of keeping an Italian theme here. Never mind. Oh, any breakfast food, really? Mainly waffles, pancakes, French toast. That, that breakfast for dinner, I'm all for that. And so that's four. And fifth one. I guess, yeah, I guess peanut butter and jelly or grilled cheese. I know those are kind of opposites, but their sandwiches so I, I i would go with a, a meatless
0: sandwich i'm so disappointed i forgot about sushi when literally i got ever since i've been introduced to sushi i would say my senior year of high school i can't believe it took that long to get there but it has been a very welcomed addition to my life what is your go-to roll, or i guess two go-to rolls?
1: uh california and tuna spicy tuna
0: spicy tuna it would, it would be those two
1: I mean, I'm all for trying new rolls and everything, but usually if I'm just going to get sushi real quick, give me a California roll, give me a spicy tuna roll, I'm out of there.
0: Yeah, hit me with any of the spicy variety, whether it's tuna or salmon. a big fan of the Godzilla roll. And the Volcano roll is also pretty good, but that's also basically <laughs> a spicy tuna and salmon, whatever else they throw in there.
1: What the hell is a Godzilla roll?
0: Uh, I'll be honest, I don't remember what is in it. It was, I just... Nabbed one from a friend of mine, and I thought it was delicious. Uh, When I go to the sushi place on Friday, I'll I'll tell you.
1: All right, send me a snapshot of it. I like to see it in person, (laughs) or at least a picture of it.
0: And that's all the time we have for today, and that's our meatless food Mount Rushmore plus one honorable mention, or in my case, five honorable mentions. Uh, Please feel free to roast them as well as anything that we discussed on the show. We'll be back at it again on Thursday. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation podcast. If you haven't already, please hit us up with a subscription on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, or on Podomatic. Also, please check back at viewhoops.com. We will have the Providence recap done. We have a preview right now by Billy Vinci that's currently on the site. As well as some other goodies and some more stuff on the Quinterly recruitment saga, which will come to an end tomorrow night. Also, please follow View Hoops at View Hoops. That's good for Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow me, Eugene Repay at eurapay5,
1: and you can follow me, Chris Stanzial, at the Stance Man on Twitter.
0: Nova Nation, happy Tuesday! It's good to be back. It's good to have a voice. And we will catch you again on Thursday when we talk some about some big stuff going on in Nova Athletics. Enjoy your day, and we'll see you in about 48 hours.